All right, so we have been working this week and running several tests, and it is operational now. So if you want to go to udo.world slash listen, that will show you the links for a podcasting app. That's an app that will automatically download messages from our church, but you can also use it to subscribe to messages from other churches, uh, people that you find inspirational, that are helpful for you, so that when you're stuck in a queue, and music is great, but from time to time, it's great to listen to God's Word wherever you happen to be. So, if you go to this website, it'll show you the link for the Google Play Store app, and it will show you how to add the podcast from this church so that you can follow along on weeks where you have to go back up to university, you have to be out for South Africa, but you can still be studying along with us, particularly as we get closer to Easter and we study through a gospel together. So visit this, uh, visit this site, sign up on for our podcast, and join in all the fun. You will be the coolest of all your friends, I swear. So today, we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua, if you want to turn there, Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to be going verses 1 through verse 10. As a way of background, we know that Joshua was a young man in the time of Moses. You'll remember that story from Numbers chapter 13, where 12 spies went to Canaan, 10 were bad, and 2 were good. Right? That Joshua and Caleb said, we can take Canaan, but the rest of the nation said no. And so God said, this generation shall not enter my rest. They're not going to go to the promised land. Which really stinks, because this is 40 years, and everyone born from that point on is just waiting for their parents to die off. I mean, that's basically what's going on. You have a generation that is going to spend 40 years of suffering, right? For the sins of their parents. They didn't do it, but they're going to keep wandering until that generation passes away. And so you have a generation that is wandering in the desert, that is struggling and impoverished, waiting because of the faithlessness of the generation before. And as I thought about the story of Joshua and the challenges we currently face, Zimbabwe is in a situation where we are being hamstringed by the mistakes of the past generation. That we find ourselves wandering in a desert that we did not make, wandering in problems that we did not create. We are the next generation. What are we going to do? Now Joshua here is listed as the son of Nun. Um, We have no idea who that is, but they're obviously not super important because nothing was written down about them. He is not from a particularly prominent family. One of the keys to note there is he is not a direct relative of Moses. He's not related to Moses. Because we may have expected the line to go from from Moses to, you know, Moses 2.0. We may have expected the mantle of leadership to go to Gershom. That's Moses' son. We may have expected the leadership to go to a priest in the line of Aaron, but the God raises up a new leader. For God is not as concerned about our family as origin as he is about our willingness to step out in faith. And Joshua is a man of incredible faith, even as a young man. But there's one last thing we need to notice just getting started. And that is, does anybody know the proper pronunciation for Jesus in Greek you probably have heard it said. I just, what, does anyone know, know what that is? Shout it out. Be bold. 
Yeshua. Wait a minute. And this name is Yeshua. And if you want to know why we have J's, you can thank the Germans. Um, but, but that's because a lot of our, our scholarship originally comes through Germany, where they add names like J on Yah, you know, Yahweh becomes Jehovah, um, because the Germans add a lot of J's. Um, so this is Yeshua, and it's not just a name that is close to Jesus' name. It's the exact same name. There, the, this is the same name as Jesus in the Old Testament. In other words, when Paul is reading the Old Testament and telling about the life of Jesus, he might cite passages that go back to the book called Jesus. Right? This is the same name in the Old Testament. And because of it, there is a long tradition that we read Jesus, we read the book of Joshua through the lens of Jesus. That Joshua becomes for us a, an important uh, statement in the Old Testament about the kind of person Jesus is, about his ministry. But it also transforms how we understand history. Because if you know much about this book, you know that there is an awful lot of violence that takes place in it. A lot of people are going to die at the hands of uh, people dying by the sword. People are going to die when, when walls fall over. Bad things will happen in this book. And all of the early church, when they read this book, said, yes, there was violence in the past, but what is true about this book must be echoed in the person of Jesus. In other words, there is, with the, as we read this book, we do not read it as a testimony saying it's sometimes okay to kill people if God told you so. We read this book because God has given us a definitive word in Jesus that now makes this story more true ...than it was before. Without the person of Jesus, the book of Joshua is very troubling. So troubling, in fact, the first missionaries to the Zulu in South Africa... ...would not translate the book of Joshua and give it to them... ...for fear that they would read about going on holy wars... ...and quickly use it as a license to wipe out their neighbors. But the book of Joshua is true when read through the lens of Jesus... ...and that's how we're going to read it this morning... So after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, Moses' helper, Moses, my servant, is dead. As if Joshua didn't know this. Moses is gone. In fact, it says that God himself buried Moses because the temptation would have been to build a shrine over it. Am I right? I mean, let's just be honest. You know, church people, you know, if you had let people know where Moses is buried, you can be sure they're going to be putting some marble on that. They're going to start charging people admission to get into the Moses funeral site. People traveling there for healing and, you know, laying down. This is where Moses died, falling over. God says, you know what? No. No, it's a dumb idea. No, I'll tell you what. I'm going to bury him, and I'm not telling any of you where it is. Because Moses is not the source of the power. Right? We want to build shrines. God wants us to walk in faith with him. Moses is gone, but let's not build a monument to the past. Let us move forward in the future. God said, that chapter is now closed. It is time to move on. Oh, he's dead. He's proper dead. You ain't going to find him anymore. For those of you who needed Moses healing, I'm afraid you're out of luck. It's gone. 
You know, there's a part of us that as we think about spiritual power in the world, we want to go and find those Moseses of our generation or perhaps the past generation, whether they be Billy Graham or who knows, the famous people that you follow. We imagine that if we could get into their presence, we could somehow get closer to God. And this opening text reminds us that it was always about God having a relationship with his people. And God was concerned. That when he works through somebody, you don't get distracted by the medium. Don't get distracted by anything other than the voice of God through someone. A powerful preacher should drive you to God's word, not a lack of trust in God's word. A powerful prophet should be the kind of person that makes you able to walk without continuing to rely solely on their ministry. God's word stands with power that goes beyond the life of Moses. Moses wrote books of the Bible, and yet God was concerned that we do not become Moses followers, but followers of God. How appropriate it is that so many books of the Bible are unsigned. We don't know the names of the authors and we know they are edited over time. I was talking with a Bible teacher here in town that was greatly troubled by this. And he says, well, you know, sometimes what we teach in A-levels is just something you can't say in church. And he was bothered by this. And I said, I think you misunderstand why God allowed so many people to have a hand in it. Because God used poor people and rich people and highly spiritually trained people and those he recruited at the last minute. Many of whom never signed their names because it was never about any of them. It was always about putting God's word in the hands of humanity that we may know God and walk with him in the evening. Of course they don't sign their names because it was never about them. This was not, never a Moses story to begin with. Moses is dead. Perhaps as we read the story of Jacob last week who felt disqualified because of his treachery and his deceit who had almost had abandoned the spot that he thought he was supposed to inherit. That all of his scheming was for nothing. But he was reminded that his past does not disqualify him from God's promises. And as we read this story, we are reminded that the great achievements of the past do not disqualify us from the continued blessing of God's promises. And whether your past is more like Jacob in all of its sinfulness, or your past has within it characters like Moses, the great things your parents did, the great things your grandparents did, the great buildings that were built and crusades that happened, and you can imagine that, look, all the great church stuff that's supposed to be done in Cheredzi has already happened. All we got to do now is coast until Jesus comes back. This is the story of what happens in the next generation. God says, right, no more Moses. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to you, to the Israelites. Whoop. Too many, too many verses. Here we go. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. We have here an important principle carrying forward. An important prophetic principle about how the promises of God work. So let's go over the basics as we see in this text. First, God had already made this promise to Moses, didn't he? That they were going to walk into the the promised land. In fact, God had already promised it to who? Even before Moses. Let's go back a little bit. Let's exercise our... I need some help preaching here this morning. Who, Who is it? Abraham. Abraham. Okay, so you answered that one. Got, let's, who was it, guys? 
Rati, who was it? Abraham, that's right, that's right. Do we need to stand up and loosen up this morning? Whew. All right. So Abraham, God had already promised Abraham the land. But here's the small snag. It's been a very long time since Abraham. Like, well over 400 years have gone by. So God's promises, while absolutely assured, can take a long time to come to fruition. It can take a long time for God to fully bring about his promises in your life. And you may be concerned that a few years have gone by and things don't seem to be working out. But this is a story that, of course, God will fulfill his promises, but often not in the timing that you'd expect. But I also want you to notice this. He promised to give the land to Moses. And you're going to fulfill it by doing what? By placing your foot... Everywhere you go, I'm going to give to you. What does that mean will happen if they don't put their foot down? Come on, we can do it. We can do it. What's going to happen? Gallery over here. Ishmael, what do you think? What's going to happen if they do not put their foot down? I'll give you every place you place your foot, but if you don't move, you get nothing. Let's say it together. If you don't move, you'll get nothing. If you don't move, you'll get nothing. And it's not because God is a liar. It is because the way God chooses to fulfill his promises is God works, God prepares, God opens the door, God splits the Red Sea, God brings down Pharaoh, God heals the diseases, God puts the bronze serpent on the snake, God sent Jesus, God creates the opportunity, but humanity must respond because God has made you capable of choosing him. In the very beginning, God said to Adam, here is what you must do. And never once does God make Adam obey. For those of you praying for children to become more faithful, we can pray many things, but know this with certainty. God will never trump their will. God does not go inside of people and say, I'm going to make you do what I want. Because if God didn't make Abraham obey, I mean, God didn't make Adam obey. And God never made Eve obey even though the disasters were horrible. And God never made the kings in the Old Testament obey. And God didn't force David to obey. Then I can promise you this. God is going to allow you to walk where you choose to walk, even if it means you miss out on his promises. Throughout the Pentateuch, we read this incredibly high view that God has of humanity. I will make human beings in my image is the opening lines of humanity's description by God. Human beings are meant to reflect God's glory. And with it comes the choice to move or to stay, to obey or to ignore. And the nature of God's promises are such that they can be fulfilled because of God's actions, but they require your participation. Let me read for you this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Here's what it says. Joshua was not to use the promise as a couch upon which to indulgence might luxurate, but as a girdle wherein to gird up his loins for future activity. Okay, that's from the 1800s. That's hard to read. Let me put it like this. God's promises are prods, not pillows. They're meant to push us, 
Not something that make us cause us to be inactive. Another way we could say God's promises are not something that we sit on. They are something that we act on. Let me say that one more time. A good one to make a note on. This verse tells us God's promises are something that we act on. They're not something that we sit on. I am going to give you the land. I will defeat the enemies. It is my strength, but it's only going to happen where you put your foot. God's salvation throughout the Bible has always been an act of participation. Walk with me. Listen. Come. Put blood on the doorpost. Jesus said to his followers, follow me. And the story goes on. Pick up your cross and come after me. The promises of God are beyond our imagination. The gifts of God are beyond our comprehension. The How much God desires to bless you are more than you could possibly know. But they require your participation. God is desperately wanting to bless you. He is desperately wanting to give you what he promised Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Daniel and Ezekiel and Uh, Jesus and Paul and the final book of the Bible by John. God is wanting to bring about those in your life. But if you do not move your feet, you will not get to participate. He tells us this in the Bible over and over again that he... That we have a participation, Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank you for your participation in the gospel. The gospel is something that we are called to hear, but then to do. I will give you wherever you put your foot, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon, that's way up in the north, uh, down uh, and on the... the um, what is that, the western side, to the Euphrates, to the Hittite country, um, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. A short note here, the Hittites. Um, the Hittites used to be a fictional people. Great scholars who studied the Old Testament said there's no evidence that there was ever a Hittite empire. That is one of the fictions that were existed in the Old Testament. And I only say that to say that now, over the last 20 years, we've found lots of Hittite stuff, like piles and piles of it, proving over and over again that the constant attacks on the Bible are silenced by the next generation. And it's only unfortunate that many news outlets only run the criticism. They never run the response by our scientists over time. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Talk about a promise. No one is going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. But if you've read through Joshua, you know it's a little more complicated than that. Because there are some battles that don't go as planned. There are some attacks on the city of Ai that don't go according to script. There's some people who want to hide stuff they've taken, like Achan. There's a little moments in the book where sin ends up in the camp and terrible things happen. This, this doesn't always seem to happen, does it? I mean, no one's going to have a problem, and yet throughout the book we see lots of problems. Well, what we know is that God did not desire any of those problems. From the sin of Achan to the sin of those who went on to I, we know that in Joshua, God desired them to have victory to victory. But we also know that even though there are shortcomings throughout the book, God does keep his promise. That from the beginning of Joshua to Joshua 24, despite the fact that people have shortcomings, they are still able to participate in God's promises until all that he said was accomplished. 
There are some bumps in the road, but it's never the end of the story. As we walk with God, we do not have to worry that our momentary acts of faithlessness, that when we have fallen short, that somehow the story for us is over. The promises are a daily call, as he says at the end of the book. As for me, on this day, my, me and my family choose to worship the Lord, Joshua 24. Because Joshua 24 is the same as Joshua chapter 1. If you wake up today and say, I choose to participate with God, God's promises still hold true. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, be strong and courageous. Turn to the person next to you and say, be strong and courageous. Turn back to them and say, I don't believe you. You didn't say it right. (laughs) Okay, let's say it again. Let's say it again like we mean it. Be strong and courageous. This is repeated three times in this section. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. It was repeated again. Be strong and I'm serious. Be courageous. When God says something three times in the same chapter, it's time to pay attention. Be strong and courageous. Two words here. They mean two different things. Courage is to stand firm when everything else around you would want to make a run for it. It's that sensation when they're marching around Jericho day after day and nothing is happening not to allow fear to dictate their actions. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For the spirit God has given us does not make us timid. It's a spirit of power. It is not a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-discipline. If you have within you fear and you're wondering if God wants you to feel anxious, if God desires for you to worry about things, the Bible consistently comes back with the message, fear not. From the angels to Mary, to Paul and Thetasses and Timothy, to this section, the words that Jesus carried, the Joshua of the Old Testament, was one of fearlessness. But what is be strong? And be strong is a little bit, it's good, being strong, but that kind of implies passivity, To be strong. Like, you know, flex. You know, be strong. What does that mean, be strong? Well, it's the same word when we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's your strength. It's what you do. This is what you do. Be strong is a statement to say... Keep on working and doing what it is you are supposed to do. I'd almost want to say, you know, continue to do actions of strength and be courageous, but that doesn't sound good in the English. So you'll just have to understand that's what it means. It means words like keep marching when your legs are sore. It means keep praying when your hands are tired. It means keep going when you don't know if you can. This is what be strong means. Be strong is to persevere in, act, in action even when everything else within you is ready to throw in the towel. Keep going and don't give in to fear. Keep going and don't stop. You see, for us, this is, these are not passive statements that you could just be home and think courageous thoughts and then think strong thoughts. Being strong and courageous, by the very definition of the word, is, is something that could only happen while you were moving according to God's promises. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. God says it like back to back in case you missed it on the last verse. Um, Be strong and very courageous and be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. 
that you may be successful wherever you go. Remember, the law has not been around that long yet. There's a lot of rules in there, but all of them are built on a core principle of love God above all else. And Jesus will tell us, love neighbor as yourself. Be careful. Because even as you seek to follow God's promises, to conquer the difficulties in your life, to take new ground, it is important that you guard your own character in the process. Think about some of those laws that we're talking about here. For example, one of those in the Ten Commandments, do not covet things which belong to your neighbor. Even as you are battling to defeat the enemies in your life and to move forward and to advance, do not allow yourself to be a person who does it by coveting what other people have. The Ten Commandments will say things like, there will be no adultery among you. You will not have that problem. Even as you are seeking to advance your life and to move forward in faith, you need to guard your marriage. Be careful, he says, that even as you are moving forward, even as you are striving, that you are protecting your heart and watching after those things that God told you to do. Make sure, he says, to honor your parents. And by honor them, we don't just mean say nice things. We mean physically take care of them as you are able in their old age. Even though you want to move ahead. You must remember that God's promises are always on a foundation where we also honor the things that God honors. And so he says, yes, we're going to be taking land. Yes, we're going to be building houses. Yes, we're going to be advancing. But we will not allow our character to slip. Be careful that you honor your mother and father, that you keep God first in your heart, that you do not covet, that you do not harbor anger against people you are working with so that you don't squander the freedom that God has wrought for us. For God may have defeated Egypt, but Egypt still holds a powerful hold on the Israelites. We know from text at the end of Joshua that there are many people who have held on to their idols they brought with them from Egypt. Maybe sometimes they say, well, it's only because they're precious metal. I don't believe those things anymore. But just to be safe, I'm going to keep them with me. Be careful, this text says. For God could be bringing down the walls of Jericho, and yet your own heart could drift from God himself. God could help you grow the church, but your own family is struggling. God could give you the promotion that you are so desiring, but you are inheriting a life of faith that will not take you to meet him in glory. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will prosper and be successful. Have I not commanded you? So, speaking of all that, you know what you should do? Be strong and courageous, (laughs) says the text. Let's get moving. Let's go. Don't be afraid. And don't get discouraged. For the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. Paul says, do not get weary in doing good. If you are faithful, then when the time is right, we will reap a harvest. There is a fear that not only will fear set in, but discouragement It's all exciting on the first day. It's all exciting on the day that we are baptized, on the first time we begin to volunteer. But it is that sustained march toward God, that obedience in the long, that long obedience in the same direction toward your heavenly Father, where discouragement can set in, where Satan can begin to whisper that that's never going to happen for you. That was just wishful thinking. That's not meant for your life. Discouragement could set in in place of fear. And the promise is, even when we feel like we can't take another step, God is still with us wherever you go. And so, Joshua ordered the officers of the people. And I don't have the rest of the text because it didn't copyright. But it says this, 
that they began to act immediately. It says in verse 16, wherever you have commanded us to do, we will do it. We will go wherever you send us. We are ready. Get the people consecrated. It's time to move. They are standing on the banks of a river they cannot cross to face a city that they cannot defeat in a country that they never have been to, and yet they are assured of victory. Jacob's, Joshua says, get ready for the victory that's coming. They are on the shore of impossible, staring at highly unlikely. And God says, he's going to do it, and the time is now. You can imagine the Israelites saying, well, let's wait until the river goes down and then we'll make our move. But God said, I said, the time is now. You see, the time to act on the gospel is the moment we hear it. Jesus warns us that the word of God is like seed scattered amongst the path, and yet the devil is quick to snatch it away. Have you not had things that you felt convicted about, that you felt that you should probably do, but you, you, were, you let it go too long, and by the time Sunday evening came around, you'd already forgotten what it was? Have you had moments where God was pulling on your heart to go talk to somebody? He was pulling on your heart to do something, but you did not act, and the word left you. This story is a reminder that not only are we called to act, but for heaven's sakes, don't take too long. No amount of notes on a sermon will change your life. It will be the actions that you take from notes, from the message, and from God's word. It is not how many sermons you hear that determines how much your life fulfills God's promises, but it is the steps you take from them. And this text is a reminder for Joshua, the time to act is now. Well, we are in that moment in Zim's history where sometimes, like Joshua, I feel like I'm on the other side of a river that is flooded against a city too big to defeat and not sure what to do other than hunker down and wait for something to happen. But God's promises are such that God says, you step in the river, you start the battle, and I guarantee you will not fail.